G'day, and thanks for listening to the Outpost podcast. I want to give you a little update on something quite significant that's happening for us at the moment. And that is that we are entering into a season of prayer and fasting from October the 1st until the 22nd, which is the start of our church camp. And I want to emphasize the prayer part of prayer and fasting. Uh, We do want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to know what he's saying and we want to be putting it into practice. And fasting is one way that we can clear away some of the distractions, some of the things that would cause us to forget who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. We are passionately about being his uh, apprentices. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow his way and not just our own. And so entering into a season where we say no to something that we would normally focus on, and it's not a bad thing that we're saying no to, but just something that we want to uh, put aside so that we can focus more clearly on Jesus. So a couple of examples for for Christy. She started her fast on the beginning of September um, and she's been fasting from meat, from sugar, alcohol, processed carbs, coffee and some other stuff. And she'll continue that through to the camp. And and for me, being softer, I'm starting mine uh, 1st of October. And one thing I'm fasting from is Strava, uh, which for me as a keen runner can be um, an inordinate focus. And so I'm taking a break. And I just encourage you to consider how you can engage with this and what you can say no to for the purpose of saying a bigger yes to Jesus and to his way. So join with us from the 1st of October in this season of prayer and fasting. Um, You're about to hear a message from our Sunday gathering and we're focusing at the moment on Nehemiah, which does start with a fast. And we just believe that God's got a lot to say to us through this Old Testament book and Yeah, our prayer is that you would be encouraged through this and that it would lead to transformation for yourself, but also for your community. God bless you. Um, When I was 20, I house sat for a couple of months. At that stage, I was at Bible college, living with my parents, um, and I house sat um, with a couple of friends for a little while. And we had a bit of a, a bucket list for that time of things that we wanted to do. Uh, and one of the things was to simulate road rage. Um, and so on a Saturday night, just outside of, of Marion, uh, we'd, I think we'd just been to see a movie. Um, we've just left. Um, and so we talked about it in very brief detail of what we would do. Um, but, yeah, it came to the moment. Um, and so I was the one who was going to get hit in the car. So I, I pulled in. <laughs> again, we didn't think it through that, that well. Um, so we're on Sturt Road. Um, and I, I pulled in to turn right onto Diagonal Road, if you can picture that. Um, and then my mate came up behind me, and I was pretty sure that we'd clarified it was just going to be like a little touch, like the little, little nudge. It certainly wasn't as bad as what it might have been, looking at your faces right now. Uh, but he definitely hit me uh, with his car. So he comes up behind and definitely makes some pretty solid contact. Um, and so I jump out of the car, you know, slam the door, go marching over to him and open the door. I can't remember what happened with the seatbelt, whether I like shook him with the seatbelt there or pulled him out. Anyhow, um, so this went on for a little while. And then it was that moment of realizing like I didn't have an exit strategy. So it's kind of like, you know, we wanted this to be a big scene of like we've simulated road rage and I'm angry at him. And I'm like, what do I do to finish? So 
I did the huge thing of like kicking the tyre and going off to my car. Great finishing move. Kicking the tyre, definitely going to hurt the car more than it could hurt me. Not a chance. Um, yeah, so that was my, my approach. Also, <clears throat> not too far from here actually, when I was engaged to Christy, we um, had a little bit of road rage that happened. Um, and so I pulled up behind this guy. It was on this, on this street, and there was something that was holding the traffic up. And so I pulled up, um, and we're waiting, and then this guy, I must have just not been paying that close attention because there was a bit of a gap between the car in front and us. Um, and he gets out, and I'm talking to Christy. I know he's coming in. I'm like, oh, he's just coming over because, you know, he is wondering if I know what it is that's causing this hold-up in the traffic right now. Um, and so wind the window down um, and then uh, I don't know if I said anything to him first. Okay, so I said nothing to him and he's like, have you got something to say to me? And it just caught me by surprise. So I had no context or clue what he was talking about. Um, and it was one of those times where my slow wit really helped me. So I just, I think I looked at him and I, I was just processing, trying to process, like, what have I done? What's happened? Why is this man angry with me? And he was a fellow big guy. And it was kind of the, you know, arms, on, hands on the, um, on the door and leaning in. Um, and I just, yeah. And he's like, didn't think so. And then he walks off back to his car. And that's, that's the whole, like, interaction was him talking and maybe just a stunned mullet, just looking at him and having nothing to respond, which probably saved me from getting punched in the face, the fact that I said absolutely nothing. Um, but just a yeah, fairly minor incident of, uh, of road rage. But it's, it's an interesting thing, and it happens quite a lot where people get upset on the road. Um, I was talking about it with someone here just recently. I won't look at them, don't worry. Um, but... It's, it happens so much and we get angry because someone has cut in on us or someone didn't let us in and our response um, right around this nation and right around this world is often quite horrific when it comes to, to things like road rage. But I think there's a few really helpful antidotes to things like road rage um, and one of them is gratitude. Like, imagine going from sitting in your car um, and just being like, <gasps> I'm in the car! <laughs> I'm like sitting down and it's taking me way faster than I can run. Like, I just sit here. Oh, I'm in a car. What a blessing, what a delight. How lucky I am to be in this car. We had a beautiful moment of gratitude just before. So my mum and dad came around and they gave cards uh, to our kids. And it was just this you know, beautiful little token. If you're starting a new school term, just want to wish you well and all the best as you kick things off. And they gave one to Eden, even though she's two and not starting school. Uh, she was given this card and her response was so over the top. She was just jumping up and down and she was laughing and she was showing everyone her card, which is like a handmade card. It had a couple of stickers in it. It was like, we love you, Eden, a couple of, you know, kisses. Like, 
that was the card. And she's like jumping up and down and showing us this card and then wanted to make her own cards to be able to give to other people. I love it. She was just so excited. And yeah, I wonder if we were overwhelmed with gratitude, how that would impact on things like anger, how it would impact on different areas of our life. Um, Also interesting just to appreciate not just the fact that we get to be in a car, but that there are road rules. And the vast majority of people obey those road rules the vast majority of the time. How good is that? How good that we have this really efficient system where we know which side of the road to be on and there's traffic lights and there's all these things that are in place so that we get to get to places pretty quick and safe. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing this shift of... um, gratitude and being thankful for something. I remember watching a video of a couple of guys that were talking about road rage years and years ago and it really challenged me because they were like, it really is an attitude of, of scarcity and we're just trying to like protect our space and, and this is mine and he's like, what if we had the attitude of like, there's a party in my lane and everyone's invited and it's just like driving along going, yeah, you want to come in? This is the best lane to be in. You should definitely be in this one. Like, come on over. Join in. I'd love to have you as part of this. Like, what a different perspective on driving and on traffic. Uh, What if you were so filled with gratitude and just joy that you had that kind of perspective? I think things would would change a little bit. So it's with that in mind that we're going to have a look at Nehemiah chapter 5. So we're looking at this book, which is set in the exile Um, So the people of Israel are no longer autonomous. Um, So they are living under the rule initially of the Babylonians, but then it's the Persians who take over the Babylonians. Um, And you have this guy, Nehemiah, who's serving the king of Persia. um, And then he ends up being released to come back and to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And of course, walls of a city back then were so important as a, a means of defense against enemies. Um, So Nehemiah comes back, he's rebuilding the walls, and we are at a point where they've rebuilt the walls to half the height, and there's no longer gaps uh, in between the walls. They haven't put in the the gates as yet, um, but they've made some really good, really good progress. And we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 5 from verse 1. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives, who are also people, against their Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards and homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children, yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. So here we have three different individual separate complaints, but they're all around pretty basic stuff. The first couple around, we don't have enough food to eat. And the reason behind this is that you've got Israelites. So this is the people who have been displaced. So they've been taken out of Jerusalem. And then some of them have been able to return, 
Um, some of them would have been there uh, throughout the time, but they're still oppressed. There's still a people that are, are not autonomous. They're not able to have their own rule, um, and they know what it is to be oppressed. And suddenly, some of these who are oppressed turn to become oppressors. So you've got Israelites who are in their land once again, and they are charging interest to their fellow Israelites who are in need. And it's like, all right, we'll help you out, but at a cost. So you can um, rent this space, but we're going to charge you for it, or um, things along those lines. And so you've got very basic needs of food uh, that people are lacking, and it comes down to the uh, fellow Israelites who are actually making life harder for them for their own personal gain. They're feathering their pockets and making it really tough uh, for their Jewish brothers. Verse 6. I, this is Nehemiah, I became extremely angry. Can I see those angry faces again? Oh, thank you. That's not angry enough. That's, that's not anger. That's a smile. That's like laughing. That's not even close to angry. Come on. Um, I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them and said, we have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners. But now you sell your own countrymen and we have to buy them back. Do you get that? So they've gone out. They've been sold as slaves to different nations and they've been brought back. But now they're selling each other as slaves. And so the oppression is now happening from within. And we see this happen throughout history where the oppressed become oppressors, where people who suddenly have a little bit of power use it in order to get more power and to push others down. But it gets much, much better. So here's their response. Their response is much like mine in that moment when... That man came up to me and asked me if I had anything to say to him. They remained silent and could not say a word. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had someone who has actually brought something to you that you've been doing to someone else and you just have to take it? Because actually, yeah, that's true. I did that. I did the wrong thing and you caught me. That's where they found themselves. They remained silent and could not say a word. Then I said, what you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please let us stop charging this interest. So that verse 10, the please let us stop charging this interest, could mean that Nehemiah, has been charging them interest as well. It's not entirely clear. But either way, he's saying, let's stop it. This practice that has been accepted, has been just a regular way of life, needs to stop and it needs to change now. Verse 11, return their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses to them immediately 
along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and fresh oil that you have been assessing them. And how good is verse 12? They responded, we will return these things and will require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. It's a pretty good response. So I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this. I also, just picture this happening, I also shook the folds of my robe and said, may God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he be shaken out and have nothing. The whole assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. It wasn't just empty words. They pledged to do it and they followed through and did what um, had been demanded of them. Verse 14. Furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until his 32nd year, 12 years, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me had heavenly burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people, but because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of this wall, and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. So you've got that as a distinctive. Previous governors, it wasn't just the governors, but the subordinates of the governors that are oppressing the people. They're demanding that they get what um, has been allocated to them. Whereas Nehemiah, we find out now that he was the governor there. Um, and he and his subordinates are not demanding those things. They are instead focused on the work of building the wall. So I mentioned before one antidote to us being angry, us being oppressors, us dealing with people in an unhelpful way is gratitude. Another thing is to have a clear and good focus. But you know that we all have, Scotty mentioned this a, um, a few months ago, we all have a primary calling and a secondary calling. Every single person on this planet has a primary calling and a secondary calling, and often we get them mixed up, and we think the secondary calling is actually the primary one. A primary calling is to love God and love others. Primary calling for every single person on this planet is receive his love and share it with others, and in so doing, we love him. Yeah? A secondary calling is what is far more unique to each individual. Let's not get them confused. For Nehemiah, he had a clear purpose, rebuilding this wall. And they did it in 52 days, which is pretty good going. We have a calling to love God, to love others. And if we are focused on that calling and we are focused on him, then the things that could actually bring out the worst in us suddenly won't bring out the worst in us because we have a much bigger focus and purpose. All right, verse 17. There were 150 Jews and officials as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. That's a big table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, 
and some fowl were presented or prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every 10 days. But I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor because the burden on the people was so heavy. And the final verse of this chapter, Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for this people. That's an interesting final verse, and it's something that's repeated a few times throughout the book of Nehemiah, where he's asking God to remember him, but he also asks God to remember what his enemies have done. So in the the positive and the negative, he's calling out God to remember um, what they have done. But here you have someone who has an abundance. Like you, you read those couple of verses of the things that were prepared for him, and it's a pretty good gig. But he's basically saying, I could have had more. <laughs> like, I could take everything that was allotted to me, but I didn't. Why not? What does it say in here? Why does he not take that? There is fear of God. Yeah? The burden on the people was heavy. Even as it was, the burden on the people was heavy. If he demanded everything that was allocated to him, then the burden would be even greater. And it was for their sake that he didn't take what he could have. And so for us, there's a a couple of questions that I I have uh, that I'll put up on the screen uh, that that I want us to consider. Um, I'll put up in a little bit. But the, the first thing is, have you been oppressing anyone? Like, is there a case where because you've had a sense of lack in yourself, you haven't been generous with somebody else and you've actually caused them grief and made things harder for them? So that's one side of things. But also, is there something that has been allotted to you that you could take, that you say no to for a season. And we're in this season of prayer and fasting, um, and we want to fast in order to pray. It's not fasting so that we can become, you know, more and more able, um, yeah, have stuff to boast about. Like this, this is about for a purpose. We say no to something so we can say a bigger yes to something else. Um, and... I was thinking about um, what I've cho- one of the things I've chosen to do with, with my fast, which is I'm fasting from warm showers. So I have cold showers uh, at least once a week. I have a cold shower, and it's great. Um, and part of that is time. I take way too long in the shower when I have warm showers. Um, but it has had a negative impact on my family. Like our hot water tank doesn't do well with a 15-minute shower from me and then a couple of other, you know, more reasonable length showers from others. Um, okay, it's 20. Um, it, it, they don't, it doesn't do well. And so someone will get a cold shower. If I have a long shower and then there's four or five of us having a shower on the same day, um, someone's going to get a cold shower. Have you had a cold shower in the last two weeks? No. There you go. So I've stopped oppressing my family with my hot showers. Um, in order to save some time, make me more grateful for what I do have. I have started to actually enjoy the cold shower more than I did when I first started a couple of weeks ago. It's not as bad. It wasn't saving me any time initially because of the, like, just psyching myself up to actually go into the shower. <laughs> it would take a lot longer. Anyway, 
I'm moving beyond that. So just wondering for you, in terms of application, is there either of those things? Is someone on your heart where you're like, I've actually been oppressing this person? Um, or is there something that you're going to say no to in order to say a bigger yes to something um, in this current season? And the biggest antidote to any of these things is just to, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Like, we're going to sing that beautiful song, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And just be reminded again, because I don't think you can, like, look at Jesus and behold him and all that he has done, all that he is, and then in that same moment be angry at somebody else. So that parable of the unmerciful servant, the one who's forgiven everything, and then he goes out and immediately grabs someone who owes him just a tiny bit in comparison. Pay me what you owe me. If we understand what we've been forgiven, it is the most natural thing in the world to forgive others. We're not going to hold people to account for the trivial stuff, which, let's be honest, even stuff that's not trivial compared to what we have been forgiven is actually trivial. The comparison of what we have been forgiven is greater than what we will ever need to forgive. And if we think otherwise, we need a revelation on what we've been forgiven. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2. So I ask you just to have this ready. So can you open up your Bibles? There's a few spares down here. Uh, if you've got your phone or anything else. I want you to open up to Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 11. And Caleb... Actually, can we give Caleb a round of applause? This is his first Sunday um, on, the, on the computer, and he's killing it. He's doing awesome. It's one of the most thankless jobs when you're doing the words. It's only when you don't get it right, and the words aren't up there in time when you're singing songs, and you're like, who's on the desk today? Uh, it's, it's, it's brutal, but no, Caleb is doing very well. Uh, if you could put up those questions... Please, mate. Um, and what I want you to do is to to read out to read Philippians chapter two from verse one to eleven. Um, and to do that, maybe just with one other person, maybe you just read it on your own. Um, and invite the kids as well. There's some uh, kids' Bibles down here as well, just to open up uh, Philippians chapter two. Um, and this is a way to fix our eyes on Jesus and be reminded what He has done and what we're called to do. Um, and then go through those questions. What does fixing your eyes on Jesus look like this week? And who have you taken advantage of? You know, does someone come to mind? What does repentance look like? What's your next step? What will you fast from in order to focus in on your calling this week? And it might be that you have a different time frame, but the default, I think, join in for these last 11 days. Uh, for our prayer and fasting and how can you best be kept accountable to this and then that question that Christy posed before like when can you join us uh, for the 7 a.m prayer like over these next 11 days is there a day or more than one uh, where you can join in either virtually or in person um, and take some time to pray so the the band are going to come up um, and you may not have time I'm pretty confident you won't have time to read that and go through all those questions before the band comes up um, but I encourage you just with someone next to you to start discussing those um, and then we're going to 
yeah, continue worshipping through, through song. Um, and there is a chance afterwards, if you want to continue, um, then you can do that. So I'll pray um, and then invite you to, to read and to discuss. So Father, I just want to thank you so much for Jesus. I want to thank you that we get to be a part of your family because of what you have done. And we need a perspective shift. Like we need to fix our eyes on you. And yeah, I confess for myself uh, that I have not done that consistently enough. And I seek a fresh revelation of you and your goodness so that it is just the most natural thing in the world to have love and grace for others. So that there is that empathy. So there is that humility and going, oh yeah, I'm not perfect myself. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace now, grace to be honest with one another, grace to listen to one another. And I pray, Lord, that it would be significant, the things that are discussed here. And just like we read about uh, in Nehemiah 5, where the people pledged to make things right and then actually did it, I pray that we would be people of our word, that we would not just talk about these things, but we would put them into practice. So Holy Spirit, may we be so aware of your work right here, right now leading us to repentance, leading us to a new way of thinking for your name's sake. Hallelujah and amen.